Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Paperless Podcast with me, Jake. In this episode, I speak to the wonderful Lois Ryan, a graduate of English Literature and Philosophy at the University of Bristol. We talk at length about her final year paper on language, mycology and delve into further topics such as rewilding Britain, indigenous agricultural practices, working on organic farms and how we can reconnect our increasingly disconnected society back to nature. But first of all, a little bit of business and by business, I mean a very quick thank you. To all of you who are currently listening and supporting the project so far, it's gone such a long way, so thank you so much. Um, and also a special thanks to those of you who have followed and reviewed the pod so far. Yeah, we can see where this little project goes, but in the meantime, please enjoy episode one with me speaking to Lois about her paper. Thanks. We're live, I think. Stunning. Yeah, hello world. Yeah, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um, so yeah, welcome to the first episode of the Paperless Podcast. Today I'm with the amazing Lois, who did English Literature and Philosophy at the University of Bristol, and for her final year wrote an incredible paper, so complex, it you know blew me away when I read the first <laughs> part of it. It's titled, We Need to Speak in Spores, How Carrying the Mushrooms' Message Can Rewild Our Language and Ourselves. So firstly, welcome, Lois. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. It's lovely to be here. And congratulations for graduating. Well done. Thank you. Um, Summarise it. How was your experience? How has how the last three years been at Bristol? That's a really nice question. Um, first of all, I'm incredibly grateful for my time in Bristol. Um, I think I met some people, like some humans and some non-humans, um, who've guided me so much, shown me so much by like love and joy and community. I think just looking back, it's something that, it, it's hugely forms a part of my life um, as a place that just has a lot. A lot it does. Bristol is a really special city and outside of the conversation you'll hear today, me and Lois talked a lot about the music scene, especially trance and dub music, um, but more importantly, the sense of community that you feel here in the city of Bristol. Um, so yeah, you've talked a lot about your experience in Bristol, but we're actually going to focus on your paper, <laughs> which is really interesting. And my God, I don't know what, I didn't even know this was a topic area. Until about, yeah, until about five hours ago. Honestly, it's so interesting. And oh. it's a really lovely blend of English literature obviously philosophy and also how we're how we can connect ourselves to our natural world you also cite some incredible texts that <laughs> we're going to go into later but first of all can you explain a little bit more about your paper give us a quick summary and yeah thank you i'd love to um so my paper was inspired by a conversation between robert mcfarlane and merlin sheldrake yeah. um where they're basically talking about the inadequacy of English to describe my chorusal relationships um, and I think for me that was kind of like okay this is like the anchor this is where you can really talk about like what mushrooms show us about like language like where these kinds of like linguistic impasses come from because of the way that fungi actually push against the stories that our language kind of like automatically tells so like if words are symbols then the symbols that we have describe processes or beings which actually don't match up to what fungi are showing us when we study them in mycology and things like that. Wow, so there was a lot to unpack there and I'm going to use these little snippets throughout the podcast to explain what's going on. 
um, as best I can. Um, first, the word mycology, you've heard it a couple of times, and it derives from the Greek word for fungus, which is myco. So mycology is a scientific field that encompasses the exploration of fungi in all of its various aspects, including their biology, taxonomy and ecology. Um, but also its important role in symbiotic relationships, so how it interacts with other organisms, its role in disease and industry. Fungi is a diverse group of organisms. It's made up of over 1.5 million species, which is 13 times the amount of plant species that we've got on Earth. Um, and these include things like mushrooms and molds and yeasts. So it's not just the toadstools that you see on the forest floor. So that was the field of mycology. But let's head back to my conversation with Lois, where we see what happens in the soil beneath fungi and their mycorrhizal network. Can you just explain mycorrhizal networks and just sort of how does it relate to the aptly name which I think is incredible the wood wide web <laughs> what is the wood wide web please explain it's insane um go for it it is incredible magical wonderful I'm so I'm so glad you asked about that um yeah so I'm I've got I've not got a scientific background so for any scientists listening forgive me if I don't quite land on the right science words for this but basically mycorrhizal networks refer to network between fungi and plants. But they also have this symbiotic relationship where fungi colonise the roots of plants, forming structures that enhance nutrient and water absorption for both the fungi and the plants. So it's a relationship where both the fungi and the plant both benefit. Yeah, and I think the World Wide Web thing as well refers to like, because these networks carry um, both nutrients, so in terms yeah. of like, the fungi help share nutrients between plants who need like different amounts at different times and then they also communicate messages along the same network like they actually the plants are communicating with each other and the fungi via these like beautiful stunning underground networks which connect all these oh it's incredible awesome so it's clear to see that the mycorrhizal networks in the soil are so important because they contribute to the growth and resilience of all the plants around them but now that most of that sciencey stuff is out the way um, we can get back to my conversation with Lois as we speak in more depth about what inspired the paper, um, specifically the conversation between McFarland, the author of Unknown, and Sheldrake, as they both discovered a linguistic barrier when trying to describe the human and fungus relationship, or as Lois puts it, when one is tripping with one's friends, yeah. and, or on oneself, yeah. and like trying to communicate that space to other people and kind of the inadequacy of language to communicate like those realizations and that love that you kind of stumble across anyway here it is so well why do you think it was so hard for someone like that who's obviously an author and has expertise in this field and is very well renowned why do you think it was so hard for him to find a way to articulate these thoughts and what made that so difficult i suppose uh that's a really lovely question and i would first of all say that like the fact that they identified this linguistic impasse as like a problem, like the fact that they actually felt themselves pushing up against something which didn't quite capture what they were trying to communicate, yeah. for me is like a testament of how well they actually understand these creatures, how well they actually understand like their disciplines, whether mycology or nature writing yeah. or um, some kind of combination of both or both of them, I suppose. And yeah like it's a testament of like how well they can actually see things as they are and understand what the fungi are trying to communicate without falling into the temptation of um 
trying to contain these meanings within the kind of linguistic jargon with which we're already familiar and with which we're already like socialized in England, blah, blah, blah. And, like a lot of scientists kind of jump to try and describe these relationships in words that we already have. Whereas both of these men kind of came up to this problem and were like, no, like these words are clearly inadequate, they're not serving us. And I think the fact that like they had difficulty in describing that is a reflection of the English language itself and kind of like the way that our words conceptualise of these beings in ways that the beings themselves don't actually agree with. And so what they were describing in this conversation was essentially the resistance they felt from the beings in trying to qualify them in terms that kind of like understand them in terms of like human use values and kind of like objectification and stuff like that and then the beings basically being like no that's not that's not how we want to be understood that's not how we're representing ourselves um yeah it's an interesting yeah insight i suppose into their little minds when you can read something like that i suppose and it, it i take it that's what inspired your your paper and what inspired you to sort of pursue this topic for so long Exactly. Um, we're going to sort of talk about what challenges you had. So, like, obviously, you had a lot of text that you would have read for this, and you know they're easy texts to read because they're so interesting. <laughs> you know, what did you experience any challenges throughout writing the paper, and and what did you learn? I suppose. Um, I think that's a really lovely question, and I would say the first experience, the first um, challenge, which kind of came to mind when you asked that, yeah. was that I studied English and philosophy, but my paper was written for my... Like, it was like an English paper, if that makes sense. Um, and I felt quite a lot of resistance in the form of suggestions that I maybe shouldn't be trying to write a paper like this. Um, I think those were kind of, like, based on the idea of, like, getting a good mark, or whatever, which I was very fortunate. I still received a good mark, despite everyone telling me to maybe do something else if I wanted that. But, yeah, I think one challenge was kind of, like, staying sure that this paper needed to be written mm -hmm. um, and staying kind of, like, confident in myself that I had the ability to do that when a lot of people were suggesting that I wrote about, like... A more typical, a more English literature type style. Paper. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, exactly. There's like definitely like a a reluctancy to sort of stray away from the the sort of educational norm and like for you yeah. to then decide. No, you know what? I find this to be way more interesting than what, <laughs> what a lot of people normally do. And we're gonna talk about you know the underground mycelial networks <laughs> and what, how that relates to language, which I think has actually shone through so well. And there's Thank such an you. interesting like dynamic that you've explored and I think yeah you've done a really good job so yeah in sort of conclusion I know that you emphasize the role of language in shaping our relationship with the environment so in context of widespread ecological destruction destruction that we're seeing today how does your paper sort of underscore the significance of addressing the disconnect with people in nature how mushrooms can rewild our, rewild our language how can we then rewild ourselves I suppose. Why is it that we need to be reconnecting people to, to nature? nature? Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I cited a couple of papers that kind of identify people's disconnectedness from nature as being like the driving cause of some of the, as, as you said, so the driving cause of some of the like ecological destruction that we're ex like we're experiencing, we're witnessing, we're participating in right now. And I think for me, this feels like it can almost be I think a lot of us have either emotional or cognitive barriers between um, kind of like our day-to-day -day life 
and kind of like the atrocities that are unfolding around us, which is understandable yeah. because like I think carrying all of that grief around inside you every day is eco incredibly hard. Is, yeah, eco grief, eco anxiety, they're becoming, you know, huge problems. Our mental health crisis and our ecological crisis are suddenly becoming one. And yes. You know, exploring that that is a problem that especially young people are facing is really important. So yeah, maybe connecting people to nature through, you know, finding some sort of peace with that is, is something that we can we can explore further. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. It's and like, you, no, thank you. Um, I think what you said is really important. Like, I think looking at kind of like, yeah, the ways that humans are like directly suffering as a result of like the way that we, we're kind of choosing to collectively respond to the ecological crises that are happening, like in terms of mental health, in terms of ecological grief, um, in terms of like burying ourselves in. So I think, yeah, for me, the paper actually started with trying to represent mushrooms as they wanted to be represented because it felt like our language was constantly conceptualizing them in terms of like, human use values and like like even the way that we refer to non-humans as it and yeah, things like yeah. that like there are just so many things in our language um which which are like we take them for granted but they are ex like often exclusively western or exclusively english things and yeah it was just trying to see like how we can kind of better serve non-human beings in our language and like constantly remind people of like this this life force that that isn't just like objects like yeah, it's yeah. it's reconnecting people with like an energy almost as yes well. yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, I that think, i think as well that the the paper goes on to explain a lot about how the indigenous people have a flourishing relationship with you know with nature and that their sentences have been nourished because of this relationship and that how having learned about that should we maybe take a leaf out of you know traditional you know, living and say, you know, maybe if we were to be more connected to nature as indigenous communities are still, you know, would our language be more flamboyant and more complex and more um, easy to describe things like the impasse that we talked about earlier that, you know, Sheldrake and, and oh God, I've forgotten his name. McFarlane. Yeah, how they how they had. So yeah, would, would you agree? Oh, absolutely and wholeheartedly. And thank you for raising that because, um, yeah, I think something which I haven't actually touched on yet here, but which is incredibly important to not dismiss or put aside, um, is that kind of the, the mirror image, if you like, or like the where Western science and Western language seems to get up to and have a problem with getting over in this particular area of like describing the biotic community in terms of the way that they want to be represented themselves. Um, this is something that indigenous languages like seem to be much much more capable of dealing with much more much more loving in the way that they represent these beings and kind of like um much less anthropocentric in terms of the way that like non-human beings are kind of given agency given livelihoods and like respected in ways that aren't just like relative to their human use utility yeah. um and yeah you mentioned seeing whether there's like lessons that we can take from yeah. those people those ways of living or like returning to those ways of living ourselves and like seeing if that kind of like brings spirit back into language and I wholeheartedly agree and I think an example of this which is um which I'm drawn to mention at this point yeah. is that the Oxford's junior dictionary year on year the differences are really interesting but I can't remember there was a particular year recently and I read about this in Isabella Tree's novel novel Wilding or not novel yeah, yeah, but yeah. book yeah, book. Um, yeah, book. 
fantastic yeah. book. For anyone who hasn't read it, we both recommend. Yeah. I, I'm going to leave a little list at the end of this episode, actually, in the description of all the books that you've mentioned and the things we're going to talk about here today as well. Stunning. So that's that's going to be all there for everyone to listen to. Thank yeah. you. Um, that's really cool. But yes, one of the things Isabella Tree mentions, um, as you'll know, is that... Um, oh, I believe it's Isabella Tree. Year on year, the junior dictionary rep- reflects the words that are most used amongst children so like it'll kind of like be a compact version of the actual dictionary and leave out a lot of the silly jargon that children are maybe less likely to use and all the complex stuff like that they don't need to learn yeah, exactly <laughs> um and then in the last few years we've made, like there's been a very what i find quite scary shift in terms of like names of trees and names of non-human animals have been dropped from the junior dictionary because they are no longer so present in children's vocabulary yeah. is the reason that the Oxford Dictionary have given I'm personally slightly sceptical about the weight of that but anyway um, and they've been replaced by words that describe the technological world um, in terms of like words that relate to like social media or like I I don't know Apple and laptops and all of that I'm not very good at it and like it's a di- you were saying like returning to the lands and actually returning to indigenous people themselves yeah. and I think it's really important I think what Isabella Tree was showing is a really important reminder that like the world we're actually living in like if we have language is like a reflection to describe the world that we're living in and if the world that we're living in is dominated by technology and stuff like that then actually we're not necessarily best placed to kind of like find the spirit in these beings and like put that in our language and yeah. that actually indigenous peoples who are still connected to the land in that way um and whose lives still like reflect that relationship who still know these animals that we don't even teach children the words for anymore yeah. that like we should actually be going to these people and kind of like looking at their stories and looking at their methods and maybe like questioning which is not a very western thing i think western like academic pursuits we tend to be quite arrogant about like mm. how far forwards we are like mm. being at the crest mm. of the wave yeah, yeah. and actually recognizing that we're doing that and being like oh actually all these people have been here this whole time. Let's listen to what they've got to say. Yeah, it's a really important thing. And like, yeah, I think that we've, we're sort of touching on there the importance as well of the indigenous communities who are still out there and how we are going through an ecological, you know, crises at the moment. And and at the the moment, a lot of these indigenous communities, the ones who are going to be facing the brunt of the ecological disruption and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like deforestation, flooding, sea level rise you know all of these things occur across the world and they are going to affect you know the global south and sadly indigenous communities more so you know is it is almost like a there is a time limit to this and you know learning what we can um about how people connect to nature is you know only going to be a part of the process but it will be a crucial part and i think you know your paper does will bring it back to your paper and say that the you know, the wisdom that they they do possess is is something that we can all probably learn from in you know western worlds and societies absolutely you know because we've got a eurocentric self and you know that's how we've been brought up so we'll leave leave it there for the paper but since graduating i know you've done a lot of you know trying to connect yourself back to nature yeah. um you've done a lot of woofing mm-hmm. and for those who are listening and don't know what woofing is it is called working on organic farms so I've done this. I've done it not for long. I did Stunning. it for about two weeks, and it was a really fun experience. Whereabouts were you? I was in Costa Rica. Oh. Um, really cool little spot to do it. Wow. Um, and I would I would recommend it to anyone else who wants to sort of get down and dirty in the mud and the soil and 
grow some plants and learn how to garden and learn how to grow your own because you know it's a really good experience but i want to ask about yours how how, how have you been getting on how's it how's it been going um thank you for asking um first of all i yeah wholeheartedly second that recommendation yeah. um for anyone who's interested in it it's like for me it's one of the most fulfilling grounding like it's it helped me so much as develop as a person the first time I did it, which was last summer. And then, yeah, so as you said, I've been doing it the last few months. Um, I think I've been finding it very, very interesting. So I've been in like, a very, I've been doing it around the UK this time and I've been drawn to kind of like compare the different ways that different people are interpreting what permaculture means to them. There's a lot and of definitions out there for that. A lot like, of I definitions. I've this before and there's wild permaculture, home permaculture, yeah. organic permaculture. Like they all mean different things, but mm -hmm. what is what is it? Yeah, I mean like go for it. I mean <laughs> you can shed some more light than I can then. Oh I don't know. <laughs> um I think yeah it's it's really interesting to see kind of like how different people are trying to refine that relationship with the land and like it's so hard I think a lot I, from what I've noticed I think a lot of people are experiencing difficulty and kind of like letting go of trying to like exert human control over all these plants and animals because that is like literally what we've been taught um like farming and all of this is and like like actually observing the plants and like letting them self-determine and trying to like or like trying to help them create flourishing communities on their own, which are like self-sufficient as opposed to like ensuring that they're dependent on humans, which is what we're used to doing. Like that's a very big step. And it's been really interesting kind of trying to see how different people are getting over that. Um, I think one thing which I've perhaps, I haven't actually discussed this yet. So thank you for asking. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing which I think I've um, perhaps noticed in myself is that I am going to a lot of places which are like this this isn't a criticism it's just an observation but like it is rich white hippies yeah. and they're often using texts which are also written by westerners to like apply methods that like are more in accordance to what we've been taught whereas yeah. I'm now kind of trying to find more texts written by indigenous people who already yeah. have this relationship with the land where it is based on like observation and plant not personhood so, not so sort of like destructive i suppose yes. and like controlling and that that maybe gardening and creating you know space for nature to flourish that we can then harvest from in a more natural way is maybe the best way to go about this sort of thing I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like an, a really cool insight for you to have have noticed and you know i take it forward with you and tell tell people about it maybe it could be like <laughs> the next paper there you go <laughs> how to how to how to woof properly and, you know what should we do with the bees and the birds and all that sort of stuff but thank you I'm I, really like that. But <laughs> I also i also noticed rewilding comes into a lot of the talk around you know what what you do with obviously the rewilding our language which i think mm. is such an interesting phrase and like the fact that we've lost something in our language and now we're trying to sort of add it back into our language using you know methods of understanding and reading and talking and communicating to try and get our language to reach that previous complexity or something that you know i think the paper does really well but in practical terms rewilding is a massive problem at the moment and mm. it's also an opportunity but it's also a big topic in politics and with the general election next year i think it's going to be even more prominent um absolutely so Taking, letting nature take hold again across the aisles is important. What would it mean to you to see something like that happen? And yeah, do you see it happening? 
what does it mean to me to see something like that happen? Pretty wild, yeah. Um, I think it would mean everything. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be, for me, kind of like an embodiment of a return, to, a, a like human return to spirit and yeah. like a letting go of a lot of the destructive things that we're kind of used to doing. But I think also it's something which I'd quickly add in the middle is that something I've noticed with rewilding is that like there seems to be a gap between people focused on rewilding and people focused on permaculture yeah. and it's really interesting because rewilding is like so 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 important but like if we're doing it in a way that ignores issues of food justice then kind of like the people who are benefiting from rewilding will often still be like depending upon industrial agriculture which is actually yeah. causing massive food crises especially in the global south yeah. um so i think for me like rewilding and permaculture should actually kind of be done together and this comes out this actually comes back to mycology because like fungi and like ectomycorrhizal networks in perennial food forests and stuff like there are ways of observing fungi's relationships with plants and seeing like who grows well with who like what plant communities are self-sufficient together and then you can kind of like rewild and and like see that as a map of like where you can be planting all of of these plants and like plant them in ways where they're going to benefit from the plant community around them and not just be dependent on the human hand and like it's like it would be like trying to recolonize a planet with humans without brains is is what <laughs> genuinely that that's, is, that's really funny too, yeah. <laughs> that's what permaculture without yeah, fungi yeah, yeah, yeah. and like without plant communities feels like because you're just taking these like isolated individuals who can't communicate with each other and can't help each other and they need that they need that what's it the wood wide the wood wide web web. exactly going back to it so it's important exactly that i love that um Um, and you asked if i see it happening and that's that's for every one of us to decide like all of us have lost that i mean person i can't say all of us i'm sure there are lots of humans who still cherish a wonderful relationship with land but like personally i've i've grown up i would say like disconnected from land (laughs) Um, and like trying to refine that relationship is like a result of privilege, sure, and that's something that I yeah, want yeah, to yeah. use my time to extend to other people without that privilege. If if you're in a space where you can access land, where you can try and like reconnect yourself, where you can try and like bring that to other people, like whether whether or not this happens is a choice that yeah, is yeah. down to like every human to make. And I guess if that's something that you want to see, if you want to go to the top of a mountain and see it covered in forests and deer and wolves and food instead of like scarred landscape where everything's been mown to the brim, like mown to like like these (laughs) tiny tiny, short hairs, like it's crazy. Um, Like if if you want that, then like, yeah. Yeah, you you feel empowered to, that you, as people, we are empowered to, to do something about that. And Absolutely. I think that that's a message that is sort of resonating with a lot of people now across the UK, especially with that sort of the climate crisis is now sort of overspilling into the biodiversity crisis and people are more understanding about not only climate crises, but the biodiversity crisis and understanding that the, the UK is, you know, very like depleted of its native biodiversity very. and you know wild isles the show on bbc i think that showed quite a good insight into what we've maybe lost but also what we've still got and what we must cherish and what we must look after so stunning show and a, yeah an amazing show and a really important bit of visual aid i suppose for people to connect to and connect back to nature um so finally i think we've touched on a lot here from you know mycelium mushrooms (laughs) to rewilding books and there's so many little calls to action which i think you know many people might be inspired inspired to learn more about from this topic 
Um, so firstly, do you recommend any books or further reading? And aside from the text, obviously, that you've talked about in your paper, <laughs> which includes, you know, the amazing Braiding Sweet, yes. that's incredible. Yes. McFarlane's Underland, and obviously the, um, oh, what's the final one that we were, what we were talking about? Um, Entangled, Entangled Life. Life. Yeah, apart from them, apart from them three, have you got any more that you think that people should listen to or read or whatever they do? Um, listen to on a podcast or audio, <laughs> but whatever. Who knows? Listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, because that's a really cool question again. I would say, so actually, recently, very recently, um, I was pulled to read, I can't remember if her name is Suzanne or Susanna, but we'll Suzanne or Susanna, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Suzanne or Susanna Simard's book called Finding the Mother Tree, okay. um, who is actually the American scientist who followed up on some like mycorrhizal research and actually established that they were that um, trees were communicating to each other in the forest via these fungal networks. Um, and it's all about how this discovery kind of like is it's basically like how the forest was guiding her to the discovery and like the relationship that she learnt from and with the forest through this journey coming from a place of like, traditionally trained western forestry where you're just like cutting down trees as individuals like like it's it's a, it's a very different method and kind of like how it took her to to look at like indigenous people's knowledge and kind of like made her see the ways in which like western training was flawed and stuff like that I, honestly for me it was just it was a very powerful book and yes. that's one that I hadn't read at the time of writing my dissertation so I mm. definitely recommend, recommend that it. okay for so sure we'll link that at the bottom in the description in the description as well um I think we're going to close there. This has been an amazing little talk. This has been Lois Ryan talking about her incredible paper, We Need to Speak in Spores, How Carrying the Mushrooms' Message Can Rewild Our Language and Ourselves. Thank you, Lois. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really wonderful. Um, and thank you if you listen to this. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Bye now. Bye. So that was me speaking to Lois about her paper. If you're interested in joining me on the Paperless Podcast and talking to me about your paper, please fill out the interest form. Um, it'll be in all the bios of the social medias and my Spotify bio as well. It's a really open, honest discussion about what you learn, your ups, your downs, your challenges, your breakthroughs, your interests, and what inspires you to write such amazing work. Yeah, this is just the start. This is just episode one, but you know, we're hoping to get a few of these out in the next few months. So please reach out to me and it'd be great to hear from you. In the meantime, have a lovely week. I'm your host, Jake of the Paperless Podcast. Thanks. <laughs>